Well, welcome to church, everybody. We're glad to have you here this morning, and I want to welcome our church family online. Thanks for being with us this morning. You guys are a part of our church family, even if you're not here in the room with us. Well, guys, welcome to the start of a brand new series today called Ordinary to Extraordinary, and I want to start off this morning by telling you an ordinary to extraordinary story uh, because I think that they grab our hearts, right? Like, you know, like movies are made about ordinary to extraordinary stories, Somebody or some organization or something that was totally and in every way ordinary, yet something happened and it became extraordinary. So let me tell you one, since it's football season, I'm going to tell you a high school football story because I love watching my son and his team play some high school football right now. Um, When I was growing up, my cousins, their name were Josh and Jeremy, were a part of an unbelievable, extraordinary football program. I mean, both of them in their high school careers, and they they were in high school right around the same time I was, both of them got to wear state championship rings on their finger after high school because they played for a school called Southern Columbia High School. Southern Columbia was absolutely extraordinary. Um, In fact, here's a picture of uh, one of the state, the post-state championship pictures of, of, of one of the multitudes that Southern Columbia won over the years that my cousins were there. They were extraordinary. But if you knew the the story behind Southern Columbia High School, what you would recognize is that they weren't always that way. In fact, there was a time in their history when they were completely and in every way ordinary. They were like every other high school football program. They had some winning seasons. They had some losing seasons. Every once in a great while, they would make a, you know, they get into the playoffs and then they wouldn't for a while. And what happened to them is, is a long time ago, back in 1984, a new coach took over the program. It was a guy by the name of Jim Roth. And Jim Roth was coming, the, the, the program was coming off of like two straight losing scenes. And Jim Roth believed that Southern Columbia could be an unbelievable football power if they would shift and change their philosophy. Well, Jim Roth ended up coaching that, that team for 39 years. So for four decades, he was at the helm. And under his leadership, he instituted like the wing T offense. When everybody else was like moving to like the spread offense that was becoming popular in college football, he stuck to his guns on running the football in the wing T and just driving the football down people's throats. And they started winning and winning and winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. And winning. They ended up setting the record under his leadership for the most state championships uh, in Pennsylvania history. They won 13 state titles under Jim Roth. They had a run of six in a row. That's when my cousins were playing for them. And they eventually became so well known that PBS did a documentary on them and, and named them perhaps the greatest football program in America. Guys, you gotta understand, Southern Columbia is in Catawissa, Pennsylvania. It's the size of Williamstown. And they are extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. In fact, how many Ohio State Buckeye fans do we have here in the room today? Any Buckeyes? Okay. Listen, you survived one yesterday. Okay. You got through. Maryland almost took you out. All right. But you made it through. If you are a Buckeye fan, you can thank Jim Roth in Southern Columbia because Julian Fleming came out of their program and made it onto your team. Right. They put some premier people out there. Now, my point of telling you that is if you were to drive into Catawissa, Pennsylvania, this little tiny town in Pennsylvania, and go to Southern Columbia High School, this little tiny high school, you would never say this could possibly be one of the greatest high school football programs in America. But it took somebody with a different vision to move them from ordinary to extraordinary. You see, now I tell you that story because, you know, these kinds of stories grip our hearts, right? 
Like we all love a great ordinary to extraordinary story. These are the kinds of things that movies get made about. People's lives, people who lived a, a very ordinary life yet did something so extraordinary that, 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 that changed the community or changed the city or changed the world in some kind of way. These are the stories that hold on to us. Well, guys, do you know that the Bible is packed full of ordinary to extraordinary stories? There are a ton of them. But the stories in the Bible are not stories about high school football programs. The stories in the Bible are stories of individual people. People who said yes to God. People who God called to do something great and they, and they listened to his calling and they followed where he told them to go. And they lived, and, and they lived a life that, that prior to God's call was in every way completely ordinary. Yet after God's calling on their life, their lives became extraordinary and they moved the world for good. These stories are packed in the pages of scripture. So let me give you some examples. Right, we get into the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, and toward the end of Genesis we have the story of Joseph. We meet Joseph when he is an ordinary teenager with a little bit of chip on his shoulder, a little bit of arrogance to him. And Joseph gets raised up by God, gets actually sent into prison for many, many years in Egypt, gets raised up by God to take over the nation of Egypt and to feed the world during a famine so the world wouldn't starve. Joseph is an ordinary to extraordinary story. Second book of the Bible, Moses. Moses is an Israelite who has murdered somebody who has fled to a foreign land so he couldn't be held accountable for what he had done wrong. God shows up to him in a burning bush and says, Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to lead my people out of Egyptian captivity. And little old normal everyday ordinary Moses gets raised up by God to do something extraordinary with his life. I mean, this kind of theme continues on all throughout Scripture. Get into the book of Judges. You've got Gideon. Gideon is the weakest member of the weakest clan, of the weakest tribe of the Israelites. Yet God raises him up to go defeat the Midianite army. And, 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 and he ends up becoming the leader of Israel for several decades. You move on, you get the story of David. He starts out as a shepherd boy, an ordinary shepherd boy. God raises him up to defeat Goliath. Eventually he takes over the kingship of Israel. You see, the pages of Scripture tell these stories again and again and again. Ordinary people who have an encounter with God and something extraordinary comes out of their lives. Well, guys, during this series, we're going to look at one of those stories. But we're going to look at one of the New Testament versions of the story. We're going to look at the shift from ordinary to extraordinary in the life of a guy named Peter. So we're going to spend six weeks doing a deep dive on Peter's life and understanding what happened after this young fisherman, this kid who was in every way an ordinary, normal Jewish person fishing on the Sea of Galilee, what happened to him after he had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Because Jesus called him to do something great with his life. And Peter goes on to become one of the most extraordinary leaders in the Bible but it has nothing to do with his talent level, has nothing to do with his charisma, nothing to do even with his leadership skills. It has everything to do with the fact that Jesus changed him over the course of his life. And here's why we're running this series, guys. 
We are running this because my hope is that during this series, that for some of you, God might shift and change your perspective on what's possible with your life. I want some of you to walk out of this series six or seven weeks from now, looking at your life differently and saying, it is possible that God could use me to do something great if I will say yes to him and what he wants for me. I want your perspective to shift. And I want you to believe that Jesus can radically transform you. And I want you to start to believe that, yes, he could actually use you to do something extraordinary in this world. So what we're going to do every week in the series, we're going to take one story out of Peter's life. We're going to do a deep dive on it, tear it apart, and we're going to watch the shift that happened in his life over several years. And so today, we're going to start out this whole series in, in his calling moment. The moment when Peter was called by Jesus to follow him. So we're going to be in, in just a second into the gospel of Luke chapter 5. Now I think that this passage is going to speak to you. I think it's going to challenge you. I think it's maybe going to even shift your perspective on your life. So I'm going to pray right now that the spirit of the Lord would speak to your heart. Can you all join me in prayer for a second? Let's pray. Lord God, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 5. We're going to see the story of how Jesus called Peter to leave his fishing business as an ordinary fisherman and called him to, to follow Christ. God, this room is full of people who hunger and thirst for you. We want to be used by you to do great things. So God, would you help us to shift our perspective? Would you help us today as we see Peter's story to, to maybe start to believe that you could do something great if we would just say yes to you? God, in this room right now, maybe a person or two who has never met Jesus in a personal way. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day that they invite your spirit into their life and you would transform them for your glory and for the good of the world. Lord, use your word. We believe that your word is packed with power and authority. So God, use your word to change us from within. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, to set up Luke chapter 5, let me explain to you a little bit of what's happening in Luke chapter 4 before we kind of get into this passage. So Jesus, in, in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is really early in his ministry. He has just begun. And very quickly, like after Jesus goes to a wedding and turns water into wine at a wedding, then he starts preaching and, and, and all kinds of people start coming to hear him preach because he's a, apparently a phenomenal, charismatic preacher then he starts healing people. So very, very early in his ministry, Jesus begins to get rock star status. Okay, big, big, big crowds begin to follow him around and news starts to spread about him everywhere. Okay, so in, in the gospel of Luke chapter 4, we have two references to the fame that is building around Jesus. Here's one of them in Luke chapter 4 in verse 14. It says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Okay, so news is spreading. Verse 15 says, he was teaching in their synagogues. Everyone praised him. So, so Jesus is, is just beginning to have a rise in ministry and get a huge following of people. Everything is spreading word of mouth, right? So, so, so there's, there's no social media. There's no email, there's no cell phones, there's no cameras to document stories. There's just word of mouth, and it is spreading all over the region. 
So we jump down later in chapter 4, and we have a second reference to the fame of Jesus. This is chapter 4, verse 36. It says, All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words are these? This is after Jesus preached. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. So he's, he's driving out demons. And in verse 37 says, And news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. All right, so Jesus is absolutely on the rise. So what you have to understand is that the context of what we're about to read in chapter 5, when, when Jesus is going to meet Peter for the first time, the context is that Jesus has big crowds. So, so Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee. Now, there are multiple gospel authors who all tell the same story. One of them says it was the Sea of Galilee. One of them says it was the Lake of Gennesaret. As best we can tell, the Jews use both names for the same body of water. Okay? So the passage we're going to read is going to say the Lake of Gennesaret. So Jesus is, is getting ready to preach. He comes up to, to basically the Sea of Galilee. And there's a massive crowd that's like pressing in on him. And so huge amounts of people are wanting to get near him because they are wanting him to touch them so that people around them can be healed. So they're not just wanting to hear him. They're wanting to, they're wanting to experience um, an encounter with Jesus that would, that would change them and would bring them physical healing. So, so just imagine you've got like, a, like a, a lake or a sea and, and I mean crowds are just pressing in toward Jesus and he keeps kind of like, like backing up and backing up and backing up and he's getting toward the edge of the sea where he's about to get wet. Okay, so that's the scene in Luke chapter 5, okay? Here's what it says in Luke chapter 5. It says, One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the people were crowding around him, and they were listening to the word of God. All right, so this crowd is just absolutely pressing in on him. Verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little bit from shore, and then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. All right. Let me give you some context to understand this. So here's Jesus. He's about to get pressed into the lake by a crowd. I mean, they're pressing up against him. He looks down the lake shore, and he sees a couple guys who are washing their nets. Right? So they had been out all night. They had been fishing Right, they didn't have anything to sell in the market that day. It had been a bad night of fishing. And, and so Jesus, what he does is he basically asks one of them, a guy named Simon, if he can get on his boat and just pull the boat out a little bit so, Jesus, so the crowds like, can't get to them. They're going to be stopped by the waterfront and he can teach off of the boat. This is Jesus' very first encounter with Peter. Now you might be wondering why is his name Simon. Well, what you have to understand is that one of the things that happens sometimes in the Bible is that when Jesus transforms a person's life or when God transforms a person's life, sometimes God or Jesus initiates a name change in that person. So here we start out with, it's all the same guy. He starts out with his name being called Simon. There's a reference to him in this passage as being Simon Peter. And later on in Peter's life, Peter has no idea that later in his life, Jesus is going to rename him and say, your name is Peter. The, the, the Greek word is Petros, which means the rock. And he's going to eventually tell him, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So that's coming years later in Peter's life. He does not know that that's coming. Right now, he's Simon. But there are many cases of this in the Bible, right? 
So, so think about it. Uh, in the book of Genesis, we have a, a, a guy named Abram and his wife Sarai, who God calls and says, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. He later changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. In the New Testament, you have a guy named Saul, who is persecuting the church. He comes to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, and God changes his name. Eventually, the church also changes his name to Paul. And it's the Paul, it's the same Paul who writes, you know, a whole bunch of books of the New Testament. Okay, so this is not uncommon for people to go through a name change in the Bible when God does something extraordinary in their lives. So here we have Jesus, and what he sees is this fisherman. He's called Simon at this point. So he goes over to him and basically asks him for his boat. And, you know, Simon's like, okay, well, you know, this, this rock star rabbi, because Jesus was considered a rabbi, wants to get on my boat. Sure, I guess I'll let him do it. So Jesus climbs on. They, they pull out. Jesus teaches. And then what happens after Jesus is all done teaching is Jesus gives this crazy request to Peter. Actually, a crazy, not just a request, a command. Totally crazy command. Verse 4. When he, that is Jesus, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. So the rabbi who is teaching to the people apparently thinks that he knows more about fishing than the fisherman who has been out all night, hasn't caught anything, which maybe was why he thought he knew more, and he tells him to go back out. So, so Simon Peter had been fishing all night with his business partners. They had come up totally dry. They, they, had, they had nothing to show for it. And this rabbi tells him to go back out. So, so what, does, what is Simon going to do here? Well, he's basically got a couple different options, right? So, so option number one is to say, okay, I'm going to listen to this this famous, well-known rabbi who, who news is spreading about him everywhere, and I'm going to do what he asked me to do, or I'm going to look him right in the eye and tell him, you arrogant, you know what? How, how do you think you know more about fishing than me? This is what I do. I'm a fisherman. You think I don't know what time of day to fish and where to drop my nets? You see, that was Simon's option at the moment that Jesus gave him the first command ever. Is he going to obey it or is he going to reject it in his own pride? What's he going to do? Well, to understand the significance of, of this command from Jesus, you've got to understand that the context in Jewish culture, the separation that would have existed culturally between a man like Jesus and a man like Peter or Simon at this point. Simon is a fisherman. Jesus is a rabbi. So in the ancient Jewish world, if you could go back into time 2,000 years and place yourself in Israel, what you would discover is that, the, is that for somebody to become a rabbi, it was like the most extraordinary profession you could have in this culture. I mean, I, you know, I, what, what is the greatest profession you can have in America? Is it the CEO of a company? You know, NFL quarterback maybe, right? Star point guard in the NBA. Like, what's the greatest profession you can have? Well, in this time period, perhaps the greatest profession you could have, other than maybe being the king of the region, is, is a rabbi. Because rabbis were so deeply respected by the people. And the Jewish like, education system sought out their future rabbis. 
So what they did is they would put all the kids would go into the schooling system. And at five years old in the Jewish schooling system, they would start dividing out kids. So the kids who had clearly superior intelligence would get put on the rabbi track. And the kids who were just not super intelligent would get put on the every other kid track. So in other words, a very small subset of Jewish children would be, would be taken out and set aside to go on a special schooling track. The way that they would try to determine if you could be special, if you could be a future rabbi who would teach in their synagogues, is they would test you with the memorization of scripture. So in, in the Jewish world, they put incredible value on what we, we call them the first five books of our Bible. They call them the Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy was the Torah. And, and they would test you at five years old to see how much of it you could memorize. And if you could get some scripture memorization down, they thought he's got what it takes. They'd put you on a track. By 10 years old, you are memorizing large portions of the Torah. The goal was, are you ready for this? The goal for a rabbi was by 18 years old that they had memorized the Torah. The whole thing. Have you ever tried to memorize a Bible verse? I am terrible at scripture memorization. I, without question, would have been on the normal kid track, okay? There's no way. I, I would have been on the fisherman track. There's no way I would have made it as a rabbi. I tried one time to memorize the book of Philippians. I couldn't get through the first chapter, guys. I got like half the first chapter. I wrestled with it for like a month and a half. I'm like, I'm done. God has not wired my brain to memorize large portions of the Bible, okay? <laughs> like, that's what they were doing with Jewish children. So understand, Jesus is considered a rabbi. The Jewish people looked at them as having superior intellect, superior capabilities, just off the charts human beings. And what it means for Peter is that, is that he, he wasn't that guy. So Peter went on the blue collar track, gets into the fishing business, buys himself a boat, goes in with some business partners, starts a, starts a business. So, you know, he's, he's, he's probably a hardworking, entrepreneurial kind of guy, but nothing special. And, and so, so go back to the scene on the boat now, and the rabbi is saying to the fishermen, go back out and put your nets back down. And the very easy thing for Simon to do at that moment would have, would have absolutely been say, well, you're just a totally, you think you're smarter than me because you made it through, you made it through the rabbi track, and I didn't. That's what he could have done. And it would have been completely justified to have had that response to Christ. And yet, here's what Peter does. Here's, here's his response. Verse 5. Simon answered to Jesus. Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is the very first moment of obedience that Peter is going to have in his life to Jesus. It will be the first of many. And so he pulls his boat back out. He's got his business partner, his brother Andrew, is with him. They go back out. And, and what they do is they put down their nets. And here's what the scriptures say happened when they put down their nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they, listen to this, this is crazy. They filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is crazy. 
So here we have, we have four business partners. We're going we're to learn all the names of the business partners later in the passage. We've got, we've got Simon and his brother Andrew. They're, they're, they run one boat. Then we've got James and John who run the other boat. The four of them are in business together. So, so imagine like they put down these nets and, they're, and they start to come up with such a large haul of fish. They cannot get the nets up out of the sea. It's going to capsize their boat. They're screaming to shore for James and John, get the heck out here. They're probably, there's probably expletives flying out of their mouths in front of Jesus right? Right? First thing he had to forgive them for. And here, here, here comes the other boat and they pull up to this boat and now they've got to try to spread the fish over both boats. They bring this thing up. They start distributing the fish. Both boats are ready to sink under the pressure. Do you know how many fish you have to put on a boat to sink it? This is every fisherman's dream. I mean, so many fish, right? And so what happens now after they go through this, these guys are absolutely amazed. So verse 8, check out what this says. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his commands were, were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. So he, he is so overwhelmed at what he has just seen Jesus do. Like he's, like he's heard the stories of this guy, Jesus, healing people. Because news, news about him was spreading everywhere. But now he's seen him take a dead night of fishing and turn it into so many fish it's ready to capsize two boats. He falls down on his knees before Jesus and says, go away from me. I am too sinful for you to be in my company. That's his response. This is amazing. And so l listen, listen to what happens now. This is just, just wild. So, so Jesus now is going to give the redirecting statement. Jesus now is going to use this opportunity to change Simon's vision for his life. All of us need a moment with Jesus where Jesus changes our vision for our life, don't we? We need a, we need a moment like what we're about to read. This is what Jesus says to Peter in this moment. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And just like that, Simon's vision changes. And everything he thought he was going to do with his life changes at that moment. He thought he was going to spend the rest of his life fishing. Maybe he had vision of investing in more, in more boats. Maybe he thought, man, you know, my business partners and I were up to two boats. If we keep working it and working it and working it, maybe we can get up to four boats. Maybe we can get up to eight boats. He probably had a, he's probably an entrepreneur who had a vision that, you know, gosh, can you imagine the, the fleet of ships I could someday build? We could, we could take over the fishing business in Galilee. He, he probably had a vision, you know, a, a vision and a drive for his life where he thought he was going. Probably dreaming of how much money he could make. Dreaming of what his future could look like. And just like that, Jesus changes his vision. Has Jesus changed your vision for your life yet? You spend enough time with him and he will. Eventually he will change your vision for your life. And so now Simon has another moment. A moment to say, am I going to be obedient? This guy's just tried to change my vision for my life. Am I going to follow his calling 
or am I going to follow what I believe I'm supposed to do? And verse 11 tells us what Peter does at this moment. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. And just like that, everything that Peter thought he was going to do, he left behind on the shore. Now you got to think about what just happened here for just a moment. So I know we've got business owners. A number of you are business owners in, in, in this crowd right now. So I want you to try to, for, for a moment, to place yourself in Peter's shoes. If you are a business owner, you have an investment. You're invested in your company. You're invested in the equipment you've bought for your company or the infrastructure for your company. Can you imagine just leaving it and just walking away and not even cashing out? What Peter and his business partners do, so all four of them do this. They pull those same ships back up on shore. I mean, there are so many fish on these ships that are about to sink. They, they pull them back up to the shore, dock their boats. Boats are about to go under. They step out of their boats. And not one of them asks the question, how much can we sell the fish for? Nobody asks the question, what can I get out of my boat? All they do is look at Jesus and say, I'm following that guy. And if he tells me I'm going to fish for people, then I'm going to go where he tells me to go. Guys, this is an unbelievable, extraordinary level of obedience from Simon Peter, isn't it? This is amazing. And listen, this is what I want you to understand. Okay, so every week in the series, I'm going to try to help you to understand just a, a basic principle about how God works in the lives of people. All right, so here's, a first, here's, here's, here's what I want you to take away from today's message. It's this. God doesn't need extraordinary people. He just needs extraordinary obedience. Are you with me? God doesn't need you to be the most charismatic human being you've ever met. He doesn't need you to have more money than everybody around you if he's going to use you. He doesn't need you to run the largest company. He doesn't need you to have off the charts physical talents and, and superior athletic abilities. He doesn't need you to have the highest level of IQ. You see, we look at all that stuff. Human beings look at that stuff. We rank and gauge people on IQ and talent and money and how big's your house and how many people do you lead in your company. We, 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 we put people on scales all the time. God absolutely doesn't put us on scales like that. He's not looking for off the chart levels of things in us. He's saying, be obedient to me. And if you're obedient to me, I can shift, I can change the direction of your life. And I can take you right where I need you to go so that my kingdom can be built in this world. He does not need extraordinary people. He just needs extraordinary obedience. So Pastor, I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you. Here's what I want you to go home and wrestle down this week. I want you to wrestle down what has God been asking me to do for a long time that I have been telling him no. I want you to wrestle that down. For some of you, there will be nothing. For some of you, you have been obedient to what God has asked you to do. But for others of you, there's something God has been nudging you for a long time to do. You've been telling him no. You've given him all the excuses in the world why you shouldn't be obedient. And what I want you to start thinking about is what would it look like to start acting like Simon? He put his nets down when Jesus asked him to and didn't fight against this rabbi. He left his boats and the fish on the shore and followed Christ and left everything behind. What would it look like in your life to be extraordinarily obedient?
You wrestle that down this week. Come on, let's pray, guys. Lord Jesus, right now I pray that you would bring to mind for all of us maybe a place where we have just been disobedient to you. God, our lives could make such a difference in the world if we would follow you passionately and wholeheartedly. And so this morning, would you start the process of shifting our perspective and changing our belief in what is possible? This morning, God, would you help us to follow you no matter what? Help us to be radically, extraordinarily obedient to your calling on our lives. God, I ask that during this series that you would put some calls out to people. You've got some calling to do in, in, in this crowd today. You, you, you've got some words you need to speak to some people in this room and some members of our church to invite us to step out and follow you to do something great. So God, you do your speaking in the way that only you know how and change our vision for what is possible. Stay with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you walked in today and you've never ever given your life to Jesus at all. If you walked in here and you cannot say with absolute integrity that I know Jesus personally and I'm saved and when I die, I will be in Jesus' kingdom because he knew me. If you can't say that for sure, then I want to give you an opportunity right now to invite Jesus into your life. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to ask you to pray after me and just pray very authentically. It's a prayer of invitation of Jesus into your life. Pray with me now. Lord Jesus, please come into my life. I'm inviting you in. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you died for my sins to forgive me for what I've done wrong. And so Jesus, today I want to follow you. Please come into my life. Now everybody keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you're praying that prayer, if you're inviting Jesus into your life, would you have the courage, with nobody looking around, would you have the courage to lift your hand nice and high? Is anybody inviting Jesus into their life today? Don't be afraid if you are. Don't be nervous or shy if you are. Okay, okay. Amen. Amen, amen.